I love Christmas time because I love the traditions that it brings, and I also love the really strong opinions that we have around our Christmas traditions. We were actually talking about this as a, as a church staff the other day. Um, in fact, in this room and online, I'm sure we've got folks that are in different camps. There's the, uh, we open one gift on Christmas Eve camp. If that's you, let me hear a, yeah. 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 Oh, golly, have mercy on your souls. Um, <laughs> then there's the folks who are like, no, nah, open them all on Christmas Eve. I'm not even going to ask you because that's shameful. I don't want you to recognize yourself in public. Um, then there are the proper people, right, who open all our gifts on Christmas morning. Let's hear you say, we're right, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> Only kind of kidding. Um, yeah, in my house, we were never allowed to open any gifts on, on Christmas Eve. And then on, uh, when you open gifts, there is the everyone open them all at once uh, camp, right? And, and there's benefits to that. I, I've heard that then it, you avoid the unnecessary awkwardness of opening a gift that you really don't like and then having to pretend like you do and thank your relative. Um, and then there's families like mine that carve out a solid two hours on Christmas morning so that we can go youngest to oldest, round and round, while everybody opens one gift at a time. And everyone's watching you open that one gift. And you're like, oh, I feel like I'm going to mess this whole thing up. I don't like this anymore. I'm realizing I grew up in a very controlling Christmas household. Um, <laughs> my parents are at my wife's church this morning for Christmas. So they're not seeing this. <laughs> and they're not going to watch it back later either. Um, so then, then I love the uh, hot takes that we have around Christmas movies. You know, some people are very much, you know, we're a Christmas story family or we're a Christmas vacation family. And, and then there's the music, right? There's the songs that are an instant skip. Some of you have tried to make it all Christmas season without hearing Wham's instant classic, Last Christmas. Um, I'm not going to play it right now. That would have been hilarious, though, wouldn't it, if I'd ruined someone's streak? Um, maybe next year. So... Uh, then there's Mary Did You Know. That's a song that has a lot of opinions about it, uh, especially in my world with uh, people who are pastors have a lot of strong opinions about the song Mary Did You Know. If you've never heard the song before, we actually had a, a beautiful rendition uh, performed by Maddie, who's one of our um, lead vocalists here at the church uh, in our Christmas concert. And it's a, it's a song that, that's meant to be reflecting on if, if Mary understood really the grandeur of, of what was coming into her life uh, in that Christmas experience of, of giving birth to uh, God's child. And, uh, and of course, a lot of folks will point out and say, I mean, the angel makes it pretty clear you're going to bear God's child, right? Like, and then Mary sings this whole song we call the Magnificat, where she seems to understand a whole lot about what's happening. And, and I want to be clear that, that I'm not here to die or fall on my sword for a melodramatic and, and maligned music number, but I do wonder... If in our efforts to defend Mary and what she knew, that we may inadvertently actually do her a disservice as a person of faith and as a saint in our scriptures. I don't think the question is whether or not Mary knew, but I do think an interesting question is what did Mary know? What did Mary know specifically on this fourth Sunday of Advent about the love that was coming not just into her life, but into our lives? And so our scripture today comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. Um, chapter 1, rather, and um, this is, comes to the end, or about halfway through, and when Mary sings this song, this prayer, this, this poetic prayer of praise called the Magnificat, Mary says, with all my heart, I glorify the Lord, 
In the depths of who I am, I rejoice in God, my Savior. God has looked with favor on the low status of this servant. Look, from now on, everyone will consider me highly favored because the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is God's name. Who has shown mercy to everyone from one generation to the next, who honors God as God, who has shown strength with his arm, who has scattered those with arrogant thoughts and proud inclinations. He has pulled the powerful down from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty-handed. He has come to the aid of his servant Israel, remembering his mercy, just as God promised to our ancestors, to Abraham and to Abraham's descendants forever. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, and for the word of God within us. Let us say thanks be to God. God. So, I grew up in a very matriarchal family. There are some incredible women in my family. My grandmother, I'm very proud to say, she set the tone. She was the first woman to ever receive an accounting degree from the University of Southern Mississippi. She was, yeah, that's woo. She was an officer in the Navy and outranked my grandfather when they met. And I love that 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 dynamic still plays on, even though he's about three feet taller than she is. We all know who runs the house. And uh, she runs a tight ship as the one who spent summers with her. Um, In fact, Mimi in a nutshell, this is a story for another sermon. She bypassed multiple levels of security to try and get a meeting with the Brazilian ambassador at the UN one time when she thought that her family was going to be transferred to Rio de Janeiro, and she wanted to know what one does when you're in Rio. Um... It's a true story for another day. Mimi's a firecracker. She is a glass ceiling breaker. And the women in my family follow in her wake. Almost every single one of them has a master's degree. They all crush it at life. And meanwhile, the guys were kind of a crapshoot, right? We either become pastors or um, uh, unlicensed pharmaceutical salesmen. Um, it's just kind of, you just don't know what you're going to get. And... Um, Having grown up in such a family with such strong women and and high-achieving women, when I see Mary's Magnificat, I see the love of a mother that reflects the kind of love that I have experienced from women in my own family tree and in my own life. I I see her her direct honesty. She's she's fighting. She's fierce. She's imagining a world that could be better than what she actually sees in front of her. The thrones being toppled, the hungry bellies being filled. She embodies in this song, she embodies the love of God and reveals how God's own heart is a mother's heart in this moment. And so I appreciate Luke's decision to give not just a name to Mary, but to give her voice. You know, Matthew barely lets Mary have a thought, much less, much less a sentence. But Luke allows Mary to have the full floor and to sing this incredible song. And in a sense, Luke is giving voice not just to Mary, but to so many unnamed women throughout Scripture so that we can see the drive is not simply for her to become this submissive childbearer who says, Lord, do with me as you will. She serves as the one who is to announce the arrival of God's rebellious spirit. She offers warning to the enthroned and the powerful. She extends comfort to the hurting and the hungry. In short, rather than an old man with a long and thoroughly wizened beard like Zechariah, who we meet earlier in Luke's gospel and whom is also mute by this moment, God presents Mary, young Mary, as the prophet 
the world needs. I notice that Luke seems to notice and uplift Mary's youth. He's, he's creating this distance and difference between Mary and her much older cousin Elizabeth and her older husband Zechariah. And I wonder if Luke knows that uh, young people have a natural knack for being prophetic. And by prophetic, I don't mean people that read crystal balls or predict the future, but rather people who know how to see the world as it is, and also to see the world as it could be, and to give language and voice to that. I've, I've spent the last few months uh, in many hours with our students here at AUMC during an interim season with our youth ministry, and I can tell you there's a reason perhaps why God chooses Mary in her youth, because she is able to see the world in the way in which it harms and breaks people, our students can see that. And yet she can also envision and imagine. She hasn't been broken down and bruised enough. She hasn't been forced into um, fitting into a certain square or a box enough. She hasn't been rounded out enough to say, well, that's just the way the world is. I don't know many teenagers that say, well, that's just the way the world is. Thanks be to God that Mary does not say that. And she's able to give voice. You know, when you ask a teenager, a question I've learned, they will give you the raw, honest truth and sometimes hurt your 36-year-old feelings. Um, but Mary knows, as a prophet to God's people, Mary knows that the world is far from perfect. Mary knows that God is near to us, and Mary knows that heaven is ever breaking in. These things Mary knows. Yes, Mary knows. But back to that song. Mary, did you know? You know, if we listen to those lyrics, if we look at those lyrics a little bit closer, we'll notice that maybe the songwriter has some thoughts that we ought to pay attention to because the lyrics say, Mary, did you know that your baby boy would someday walk on water? Or Mary, did you know that your baby boy would someday heal a blind man or, or would someday calm the storm with his hand? Or when you kiss that baby, you kiss the very face of of God. Mary, did you know? And if we look at Scripture, we notice the angel does tell Mary she's going to bear God's son, the Messiah. And, and you know, we hear words at Christmas time 2,000 years later, and we just kind of throw them all together, and we kind of imagine they mean the same thing when we say Savior or Messiah or Prince of Peace. We just kind of, these sort of become a litany of the ways we refer to Jesus. But that word Messiah, Messiah, would have meant something very specific to a young Jewish girl like Mary. The Messiah was, was not something that, that maybe we think of today. For Mary in her day, that would have been a very clear call to the next king of Israel. That's why they go to Bethlehem, King David's hometown. The Messiah is the one who is going to liberate God's people, who's going to pull the mighty down from their thrones, and who's going to give the poor and oppressed people in that land full bellies and allow the poor to rise up. The Messiah was a very clear call. In fact, referring to a king as the son of God would not have been new language. In fact, many cultures, including the Jewish tradition, would have seen their king as, as a little less than divine. Some even equated the two. And so Mary knows that she is bringing the next king of Israel into the world, but does she know? Does she know that this is more than a second coming 
of King David? Does she know that this is God truly in the flesh? There's nothing in our scripture to suggest that Mary had already worked out Trinitarian theology and the hypostatic union of Jesus being fully human and fully divine. That would take the church a few hundred years to work that stuff out. My point is this. I don't think Mary knew everything. And that takes nothing away from Mary. In fact, I would argue that if we try to turn Mary into an omniscient superhero herself, we rob her of perhaps her own most powerful gift that she offers us this Christmas time. What Mary does is Mary chooses the love of God without having all of the answers and without knowing every single outcome. Mary chooses the love of God, without fully understanding where it will take her. She chooses God's love without a vision of that wedding in Cana of Galilee, without clarity around her own push into Jesus' public ministry, without understanding Jesus' full call, not to lead as a valiant king, but instead to humble himself into death and resurrection. She chooses the love of God without knowing the totality of the joy and the heartbreak that this child and this love will bring into her life and truly the life of the world. And so, what about us? On the threshold of Christmas, when we're moments away from Christmas Eve and from Christ's birth, you know, that, that part is not so much a choice. Christmas Day is going to come, whether we want it to or not. But what comes next is entirely up to us. And the truth is, my friends, as hard as this is to accept, we don't know. We don't know what comes on December 26th or 27th. We don't know. And so if we have the boldness, the audacity, or the grace to sing the Magnificat along with Mary, to join her in her song, to allow this saint to bless us by sharing honestly with someone who needs to hear it, by perhaps offering grace to someone who is totally undeserving, or perhaps by thrashing thrones and feasting with the famished. If we seek to sing the Magnificat along with Mary, we don't get to know how that works out. And Mary's story and song are here to remind us that when we choose God's love, we choose the power and the grace and the glory and we also choose the mystery. Because Mary knows what God's love could mean. And yet Mary discovers just the depths of God's love. Can we embrace that same kind of mystery on the edge of Christmas? My prayer is that it could be so. Amen.